Welcome to the Recent Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches, featuring inspiring new devotionals and forums given each week on BYU campus. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. I'm excited to be with you this morning, and I extend a, a particular welcome to the over 700 of you who are just starting at the university this term, many of whom are new freshmen coming straight out of high school. I'm excited for the experience that you're going to have here at the university. A few years ago, I invited several colleagues from various universities to come to BYU for a multi-day workshop in Scandinavian Studies, my specialty. The work was going to be intense, so we suggested to the participants to pack good shoes so that one evening we could take a break and go for a quick hike up our unparalleled Rock Canyon. A professor who taught at a large public university on the West Coast took advantage of this downtime to ask me questions about BYU, about the Church, and even about my personal faith and convictions. She did, she did so somewhat sheepishly and excused herself for asking questions that for a native Scandinavian are deeply personal and rarely discussed except with close friends or family in a sauna. I assured her that I really didn't mind, and in fact, as a return missionary from Sweden, I found it refreshing for a Scandinavian to ask me questions about religion. She expressed how impressed she was with the beautiful buildings on campus, the capable students, the generous support for our research project, and the clear commitment the university and the Church had to education. She confided in me that she had grown up in a devout religious home and that she recognized many things in our BYU community that reminded her of her own upbringing. But, she said, there's one significant difference that I just cannot wrap my head around. When I finished the Danish equivalent of high school, I had the burning desire to continue my formal education at a university, something my parents and faith community strictly forbade. She continued, I was forced to make a choice between my faith community and my education. But here, here at BYU, faith and learning seem to coexist. They don't just tolerate each other, but they seem to embrace each other. Since that time, I've thought a lot about her comments, and there are two important interrelated lessons that I've taken away from this conversation. First, about the distinctiveness of a BYU education, and second, how education fits into God's plans for all of us. In her short time on campus, my colleague discerned one of the most distinctive qualities of this remarkable institution. Indeed, at BYU, faith and education do not merely tolerate each other. They embrace each other. They catalyze and strengthen each other. The sacred and the secular feed into one another. The Lord plainly states in the Doctrine and Covenants that all things unto me are spiritual. I'm thankful to have benefited from this as a student and now to teach at a university that allows for me to explore how the sacred and the secular are interdependent. Understanding and believing these truths help us to love God, to love and appreciate God, His great mercy, and His creations more fully, and to recognize how we are connected and how we can love and serve others more truly. This fusion of the sacred and the secular in the pursuit of truth is exactly what President Spencer W. Kimball articulated in his address at the centennial celebration of BYU. His words are equally applicable to students and faculty. 
At this remarkable and unique institution, he said, quote, your double heritage and dual concerns with the secular and the spiritual require you to be bilingual. As scholars, and I would add as students, you must speak with authority and excellence to your professional colleagues in the language of scholarship, and you must also be literate in the language of spiritual things. We must be more bilingual in that sense to fulfill our promise in the second century of BYU. I was born in the U.S. but spent several years in Sweden when I was young and again as a missionary. I am now, among other things, a teacher of languages. And as my wife is a native, a native of France, we speak a fair amount of French at home. Language is important to me, and this metaphor of bilingualism resonates. Moving between languages for me is not flipping through a dictionary or using Google Translate. I understand things about Swedish and French culture and people that I could never have grasped in translation alone. Those of you who speak a second language understand how concepts and ideas can many times be untranslatable or contain powerful combinations that are impoverished when taken out of context. Grasping these differences opens new possibilities and realities to us. My life is qualitatively richer and my capacity to see the world with gratitude and charity increases with each language that I learn. Languages direct our attention in new ways. The Spirit is a language, too. It directs and enlightens our minds or causes our hearts to burn, filling us with the light of eternal truths. I've had the opportunity to teach at other universities, and while I benefited from their strengths as institutions, I'm grateful for the freedom afforded me by BYU's mission to be fluent in the language of the Spirit in what and how I teach and in how I live. My colleague's observation about BYU's unique pursuit of truth has also pointed me to another insight. At BYU, we are not just open to revealed truth that is found, for instance, in Scripture, but also to the capacity of all God's children to receive revelation, wisdom, and understanding through study and learning. Remember, the Scripture says to, quote, seek learning even by study and also by faith, close quote. BYU, with its double heritage, is not just a university among others, but nor is it just a seminary or theological school. Learning at this university may well start and even end with the scriptures and the prophets, but it takes seriously its bilingual obligation to engage in secular scholarship on its own terms, patiently but unabashedly and without fear, and not just because it might help us professionally, but because education and what it becomes what it takes to become educated has spiritual value in its own right. And there's a good reason, historically speaking, to consider a formal education as part of a moral education. In antiquity, although few had access, they believed that education was intended to produce the improvement of the whole person, not marketable skills. In the Middle Ages, or the Middle Ages saw the rise of the formal university and organized its curriculum around sev seven traditional disciplines. The trivium included grammar and literature, rhetoric and logic, as well as the quadrivium, mathematics, geometry, music, and astronomy. These subjects were collectively called the liberal arts, not in reference to a political ideology, but because this was an education that would liberate the individual from ignorance and was the proper education of a free person. 
The American evolution of the university added several important dimensions, including the idea of general education in the liberal arts, because education was meant to refine individuals and prepare them for participation in the democratic experiment. Strong democracies depend on a robust civic on a robust civic commitment and citizens devoted to personal virtue who can build community and discern truth from error. It was this long tradition of the cultivation of the whole person, truth that makes women and men free and prepares informed, loyal citizens, that President Kimball perhaps had in mind when he stated that BYU must, quote, resist false fashions in education, staying with those basic principles that have proved right and have guided good men and women and good universities over the centuries, close quote. Don't take for granted how BYU has historically adhered to this heritage, even while many other universities have strayed. Our commitment at BYU to what the mission statement refers to as, quote, a broad university education, close quote, is grounded in the arts and letters and sciences that will help students to, quote, think clearly, communicate effectively, understand important ideas in their own cultural tradition as well as that of others, and establish clear standards of intellectual integrity, close quote. Although we sometimes talk about getting general education requirements out of the way, these are not mere hoops to jump through. At their most basic, this broad general education gives you transferable skills that you can use in various contexts throughout your life. But they can do far more than that. Engaging different ways of knowing the world stretches us, opens us to inspiration, teaches us humility and patience, fosters gratitude, and has the power to bind us closer to each other and to God's marvelous creations, but only if we let it. It has always impressed me that as the first members of Christ's Church in this dispensation gathered on the frontier, confronted with poverty and persecution, some of whom barely had any formal schooling at all, they were nonetheless commanded to learn not only about overtly spiritual things, but also, quote, of things both in heaven and in the earth and under the earth, things which have been, things which are, things which must shortly come to pass, things which are at home, things which are abroad, the wars and the perplexity of nations and the judgments which are on the land and the knowledge also of countries and of kingdoms, close quote. The Lord is outlining general education requirements or opportunities for the School of the Prophets. And while grasping truth has obvious merit by itself, the process of seeking that truth is as important as obtaining it. The process, learning as Christ did in his mortal sojourn, grace for grace, changes and refines us. Section 88 of the Doctrine and Covenants explicitly links learning with sanctification. At the same time, the Lord is admonishing these pioneering brethren to learn from the best books. He is also commanding them to, quote, sanctify yourselves, yea, purify your hearts, and cleanse your hands and your feet before me, that I may make you clean, close quote. The very act of learning, with all the discipline, sacrifice, and focus it requires, can have a sanctifying effect on us when, and this is critical, when we do it with an eye to the glory of God and the service of others, precisely what you should expect from a BYU education. The Lord established a pattern from the earliest um, parts of the Restoration. As soon as the saints gathered, they built schools and temples. 
the Lord says, quote, I, the Lord, am pleased that there should be a school in Zion, close quote. And while there are undoubtedly positive practical outcomes that came from these schools, neither graduation nor successful career placement was or is today the ultimate goal. The aim of a BYU education is something far more ambitious, even audacious. The mission of Brigham Young University is to assist individuals in their quest for perfection and eternal life. This mission statement might, out of context, seem more like something one would expect of a church than a university. How does a university education fit into this ambition? Put another way, what justifies the significant expenditure of effort and resources, including the sacred widow's might and the tithing paid by faithful Ute fans, on Brigham Young University and on your education? How can a university education at BYU help you in your quest for perfection and eternal life? Before venturing an answer, I need to make clear that I am most definitely not saying that a university education generally, or a BYU education specifically, is in any way necessary in this quest. Good women and men who have not had access to formal education have indeed learned and experienced what the Lord required of them and are accounted among the saints enjoying the eternal inheritance promised to the faithful. An education does not make anyone better than anyone else. And education is certainly not the only or even the primary resource that might help us. But it is a valuable one. It is a blessing, a talent in the words of the parable, that can profit us when we are wise stewards. Even if we don't have the opportunity for a formal education, the Lord expects us nonetheless to be lifelong learners because of how learning changes us. When talking about our BYU education, we tend to focus on what we need to do. Complete applications, finish assignments, take classes, earn grades, fulfill requirements, secure internships, receive a degree, and find a job. Maybe find a spouse might be in there too. While all of these things have their place, none of these things are ends unto themselves, either from an educational or from an eternal perspective. The value of the experience is in how it shapes us and how it changes us. If we take another look at the BYU mission statement, notice how often it focuses not on what you are, but on the process of becoming. After all, it is the quest for perfection and eternal life, not its realization. Further down, it says BYU is intended to be a stimulating setting where the full realization of human potential is pursued. The instruction, programs, and services should contribute to the balanced development of the total person. To quote President Dallin H. Oaks from when he was installed as president of BYU, quote, our reason for being is to be a university, but our reason for being a university is to encourage and prepare young men and women to rise to their full spiritual potential as sons and daughters of God, close quote. The point here is that if you leave BYU as essentially the same person you were when you entered, maybe with just a few extra facts in your head or skills at your disposal, the university will have failed, and you will have missed the great blessings of transformation and sanctification that the Lord has in store for you. In recent years, there's been a rise in skepticism about the value of a university education. The reasons for the skepticism are complex, and the problem is linked in part to skyrocketing cost of higher education, something we, are, we hear are at least to a degree shielded from because of the generosity of church support. 
The wicked economics of higher education have forced many to see a university education as a commodity that is purchased with the sole focus on the return on investment to the individual. Of course, one should expect something to come from pursuing a degree, but that return is measured too often only in terms of prestige and temporal gains for the individual and not in improvement in character, moral refinement, or service in the community. This unfortunate focus is not on how the experience might help the individual learn, grow, worship, and serve better, but on the ability for the student as a consumer to move through the experience fundamentally unchanged except for the increased capacity to accumulate material wealth and gain social status for themselves. This view has produced two forms of extremism, elitism on the one hand and anti-intellectualism on the other. And this trend flies in the face of BYU's mission to help individuals in their quest for perfection and eternal life. In a recent forum address to the BYU community, Rabbi Ari Berman, president of Yeshiva University, drove home the distinction between a consumerist approach to education and what he referred to as a covenantal approach to education. The covenantal was unique in its focus on reciprocity and relationship. In his words, quote, the consumer model is about acquiring possession. It values detailed knowledge, metrics, research, analytics, and prioritizes the known and the certain. But the model of the covenant is different. It prizes empathy, faith, empathy, loyalty, curiosity, and discovery. To be clear, there's a comfort in being a consumer. One knows the product, reads the warranty, and has the instruction manual. There's very little risk. In the covenantal, however, there is exposure, vulnerability, uncertainty, and great risk. But the upside is different as well. The consumer is only transactional. The covenantal is transformational." Close quote. When you approach your education as a consumer, you keep your relation to it at arm's length. You pick what suits you, your personal taste, and you don't let yourself be changed by it. The covenantal education requires an entirely different kind of investment on your part. If you were to be changed by an experience, you must make yourself vulnerable and come willing to sacrifice. It also implies that the experience is not for personal satisfaction, but with an eye to larger commitments of community and God. What you get from your BYU education what you get from your education at BYU and how it will change you into a more dedicated disciple depends on you. In the scriptures, we are given instructions how to be transformed by our education. First, we are admonished repeatedly to seek earnestly and honestly for truth. A transformative education requires earnest and honest seeking. Seek ye diligently and teach one another words of wisdom. Yea, seek out of the best books words of wisdom. Seek learning even by study and also by faith. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Seek not for riches, but for wisdom, and behold, the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto you, and then shall you be made rich. Behold, he that hath eternal life is rich. Seeking is key because it moves us from being reactive, that is, waiting to be commanded in all things, to laying hold of our agency and learning how to use it. Curiosity is core to becoming a seeker. Cultivate that need and desire to know more. A transformative education also requires humility and sacrifice. 
Idle curiosity that is not accompanied by a willingness to sacrifice and change is not motivated by faith. Humility and meekness signal that we desire to be impacted by an encounter with truth, but it is important in this process to stay focused on the things that are worth sacrificing for—God and His work. Can you imagine that Joseph Smith would have received an answer to his prayer for wisdom had he not sought wisdom and then also been prepared to act on the answer that he received? King Lamoni's father in the Book of Mormon was willing to give Ammon half of his kingdom to spare his life, but willing to give all his kingdom to Aaron for truth. Quote, I will give up all that I possess, yea, I will forsake my kingdom that I may receive this great joy. Close quote. Opening ourselves up to transformation because of truth places us in a vulnerable position. This is why Paul said that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling before God. An open mindset, a repentant mindset, is acknowledging that our understanding is almost always incomplete and needs expansion and correction. The Lord told Nephi, quote, because I have spoken one word, ye need not suppose that I cannot speak another. For my work is not yet finished, neither shall it be until the end of man, neither from that time henceforth and forever. For out of the books which shall be written, I will judge the world." The restoration is ongoing. Truth is to be found in many places, and we are responsible for learning it. A third attribute of someone who can be transformed by education is patience and the ability to withhold rash judgment. When learning, it is not uncommon to come across ideas that challenge what we think we already know. Sometimes it's because the new information is simply not true. But we run a great risk when we dismiss new knowledge too quickly. Elder Uchtdorf cites the old story about six blind men, each trying to describe an elephant. One touched the leg and described it as being like a tree. Another felt the tusk and described it as a spear. A third, feeling the tail, says it's like a rope, and the man touching the trunk thinks it's like a large snake. They are all, of course, both right and wrong. Elder Uchtdorf concludes, quote, We believe we know the truth of what an elephant is. That someone could make a judgment based on one aspect of truth and apply it to the whole seems absurd or even unbelievable. On the other hand, can't we recognize ourselves in these six blind men? The Apostle Paul said that in this world the light is dim and we see only part of the truth, as though we are looking through a glass darkly. And yet it seems to be part of our human of our our nature as human beings to make assumptions about people, politics, and piety based on our incomplete and often misleading experience." Close quote. Not only can we, be, can we be blinded by the assumptions we make about others, there's also a danger in simplistic binary thinking, in which when confronted by two competing ideas, one automatically assumes one idea is completely right and the other completely false. This is a trap that can cause us to make serious missteps, demonize others, and even turn away from truth itself. Christ taught that we needed to, quote, judge not according to the appearance, that is superficially, but judge righteous judgment, close quote. The teachings of the prophets, the scriptures, and the values inspired by our faith in Christ are crucial components of this education and what you have to offer the world. And the Lord has given us an additional gift to guide, to guide us and help us to distinguish between truth and error, the Holy Ghost.
Our fourth important requirement of a transformative education is to make the Holy Ghost a constant companion in learning. This requires virtue in our lives and careful cultivation of spiritual sensitivity. The companionship of the Spirit is as important in our study of overtly spiritual topics as it is for other secular and scholarly pursuits. Moroni stated boldly that by the power of the Holy Ghost ye may know the truth of all things. All things. Not just the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon or the veracity of God's love for you, but all things. I have felt the power of the Spirit guiding me, both when I prepared to teach a lesson for my ward's priest quorum and also when I have prepared for my courses in Scandinavian literature and film. I felt guided with strokes of inspiration in my research in the environmental humanities and have heard colleagues remark how the Spirit has led them, sometimes in dramatic ways, to new insights, techniques, and knowledge that have in some cases shaped the course of research in their fields. Furthermore, the Spirit has a sanctifying effect on us. It refines us. It cleanses us and leads us back to where we started with help to focus on God and serving his children. To return to Elder Uchtdorf, quote, My young friends, as you accept the responsibility to seek after truth with an open mind and a humble heart, you will become more tolerant of others, more open to listen, more prepared to understand, more inclined to build up instead of tearing down, and more willing to go where the Lord wants you to go, close quote. Not only will a strong, broad BYU education strengthen your ability to discern truth, it will bless you with resilience for a rapidly changing world, to work in careers that do not even now exist, but also, crucially, to serve in the kingdom. After admonishing the School of the Prophets about the broad curriculum, the Lord plainly declared that through this transformative education they would, quote, be prepared in all things when I shall send you again to magnify the calling whereinto I have called you and the mission with which I have commissioned you. Where will the Lord lead you? What does the, what does the Lord have for you to do with the unique light that you bear? You only have the faintest glimpses of what the Lord has in store for you and for the great work you will do for your sisters and your brothers in the world. In conclusion, I'd like to give you a concrete example of the way education transforms us and prepares us to be better disciples of Christ and of service to others. My parents, I'm glad are here today, are remarkable people. My father, a BYU graduate, was not only an accomplished professional known for his leadership and compassion, but also a passionate student of history and Swedish culture. His curiosity and enthusiasm evoked in me a passion for history and family history and for Sweden and its people. Where, wherever we lived as I was growing up, in Missouri, Sweden, New Jersey, and Boston, he helped us seek out what made those places unique and served the people there with all his heart and mind. My mother took a less conventional route to a university degree but never delayed her education. She's a voracious reader with an envious intellectual curiosity. She started at BYU studying graphic design but put her plans on hold when, after marrying my father, a job offer took them back to St. Louis. My older sister's arrival and my father's burgeoning career delayed her ability to return to school, but she did not forget the admonition and her patriarchal blessing that she should finish a college degree. I came along two years later and then another sister. 
Then, at the age of 26, with three children under the age of five and a fourth one on the way, she and my father were called as mission leaders to a newly created mission in Yetibori, Sweden. You didn't know they called kids on missions, did you? And these kids had kids. While my father, just 29, had not had time to forget Swedish after serving a proselyting mission to Sweden a few years before, my mother spoke no Swedish at all. During the following three years, however, she both had a fifth child and learned the language so that she could understand and communicate with the people she loved and had been called to serve. While she ministered to others, she and my father had outsized responsibilities to minister to a young family in the home. Their willingness to serve and sacrifice, however, left an unmistakable impression on me and my siblings. Indeed, I can say, like the sons of Helaman, that I learned from the service of my parents, and in the things of the Spirit, I cannot doubt that my mother and my father knew it because of how they lived. They returned from Sweden, had two more children—that's seven in total for anyone keeping score—and continued a full and rich life of service in the Church and in our home. Still, my mother's patriarchal blessing haunted her. While she was the paragon of a lifelong learner, among other things teaching for years as an early morning seminary teacher in St. Louis and Houston, why was it so important for her to finish her degree? As my younger siblings grew older and more independent, she made the bold decision to return to her studies and, and try to finish what she had once started decades, seven children, and at least eight interstate and international moves before at BYU. But there were obstacles. The classes she took for her, graphic for her graphic design degree in the 1960s, hand lettering and drafting, had long since been replaced by new technologies. In its place, the degree in English literature stood out to her as something that might play to her superpower, boundless reading. She took the plunge, and class by class, she clawed her way toward a degree. But there were more obstacles. One of them was the languages of learning GE requirement. GE opportunity. I think we need to rename that. Calculus was not an obvious option. She, she didn't have the requisite number of French classes, but here the Lord intervened. Because of an initiative in the College of Humanities, I was approached to teach a summer Swedish literature class for returned missionaries that would fulfill the requirement and be open to returning students like herself. I have only ever been asked to do this once, but it came at just the moment my mother happened to need it. That's right. My mother took a Swedish literature class from me in Swedish over 25 years after returning home. And just for the record, no, I did not call her mom in class. <laughs> While federal law prohibits me from telling you the grade she received, let's just say she was impressive. She finally finished her degree and graduated in, in, 20, in 2010, some 42 years after having started that, the degree. That in itself in and of itself is an inspiring story, but what happened afterwards serves to illustrate the important point that we learned from Doctrine and Covenants 88. We rarely know how and where the Lord will use us and the experiences and education with which He has blessed us. Within just a couple of years of taking that class, she and my father were called to serve in Sweden again, this time as temple president and matron of the Stockholm Temple. An important part of their responsibilities was to instruct the, those entering the temple for the first time, as well as speaking in wards and branches throughout the temple district. Because of her education, she was ready to meet these challenges on day one of their mission, writing papers in Swedish on Selma Lagerlöf and Ingmar Bergman, uh, paid off as she found herself writing sacrament meeting and fireside talks for the members in Sweden in their native language. 
Shortly after returning home, she and my father were quite unexpectedly called into the office of the First Presidency, and my mother, Bonnie Lee Oscarson, was called as the 14th Young Women's General President of the Church. There's little to prepare one for such a calling and responsibility, but she has said on numerous occasions that her experience reading, analyzing, and writing about American, British, and Scandinavian literatures for classes was an ideal training for the innumerable articles and talks she needed to write during her years in that calling. Her education prepared her to understand others, deal with change, analyze messy, unorganized information, and make clear decisions. While she's quick to point out the myriad ways that her own abilities were clearly enhanced and enriched by the Spirit working through her, she would not have felt confidence in asking for that divine help had she not done her part. In sharing this experience, I'm certainly not suggesting that a degree from BYU is necessary or predictive of any particular kind of service, but I testify that the Lord will use both the process and the product of your education to refine you, to change you, and to prepare you to work in your homes, in your communities, and in the Church in ways and in places that you cannot now imagine. Let your education change you, refine you, and make you a better, more committed disciple of Christ. He desires to transform us all. Transformation and repentance is at the heart of the Atonement because he knows how to make you into more than you could ever possibly make of yourself. I testify of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Recent Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts, including classic speeches taken from our vast audio library as well as other BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.